Thank you, Coffee Stain, for reminding me it was time to do laundry anyways. Thank you, Mr. Officer, for giving me the opportunity to thank a local service worker today. We head for the sky, it's all right. Our wings wouldn't fly, it's all right. If we are crashing down again. Thank you, dead headphones, for providing an opportunity to take in the sounds of nature? Well, good morning, everyone. According to the um, organization Very Well Mind, we human beings, and I assume everyone in here is a human being, uh, suffer from what is called negativity bias, which is just a fancy way of saying, whether you're a student or an adult, all of us as human beings tend to dwell on negative things. That is, there are two modes of mind. One's called focused, one's called unfocused. Normally, we're the unfocused mode. And whenever our minds are kind of wandering, they wander over to the negative. And that's just our proclivity or our kind of default nature. So for instance, um, if you have a traumatic event happen in your life, you will remember that more than you will a positive event, even if that positive event was greater than the traumatic event. Or, for instance, um, we have a tendency to remember people when they insult us, the insult and the person who did it, more than we remember the people who compliment us and the compliments that they pay toward us. Another way to think about it is like this. How many of you ever had one of those days where everything went right? You thought I was going to say wrong, didn't you? See, that's your negative bias. You got up, you felt great. You got out the door on time. You got to school on time. You got to work on time. You aced the test. You made the team. You got the project done. Maybe you even got a raise or a bonus. You got like a whole bunch of kudos all day long. And then someone, might be your spouse, might be your boss, might be a fellow student, might be a teacher, might be a coach, might be your parent, might be your kids, say one nasty thing to you, and you just obsess on it. You just, you just stew on what was said, and it doesn't matter that you received 20 good kudos and had a wonderful day. That one, one comment just ruins the rest of the day for you. It ruins your life. 
How many of you ever had that happen to you besides me? Isn't it amazing? Like one negative thing can cancel out everything good that has happened in our lives. Why is that? Well, social scientists will tell you, if they're secularists, they'll say, well, that's because of evolution. We've just been bred that way. You know, our ancient ancestors were always looking over their shoulder for the saber-toothed tiger or lion that was coming for them. And so we're like, we're just cautious all the time. We're always, you know, afraid that something big or bad is going to get us. But the Bible says there's an entirely different reason why we have a negative bias. And the Bible says the reason is because of sin. Well, obviously, as a follower of Christ, I believe the Bible's correct on that. I think the reason why we tend to be negative about so much is because of sin. And so the question is, can we overcome that? Can we change our bias? Could we become known for a positive bias? Could we become known for being uplifting and encouraging? And the answer to the question is, absolutely you can. So I welcome you to what I think is going to be a life-changing three-weekend series on how to establish a thankful mindset, how to have a thankful heart. And I'm convinced that if you'll take to heart and take to mind what we're going to learn from God's Word, it is going to, like, revolutionize your life. You are going to have more friends than you know what to do with. Now, if you don't want friends, this is going to be a terrible sermon series for you. For those of you who are married, I do believe it will upgrade your marriage. Those of you who have families, I think it's going to change your family dynamics. I think it will change your job. I think it will change your whole perspective, your whole outlook on life, despite the fact there's so much negativity in our lives and all around us. I get it. There is. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say, if you really take this to mind and heart, and you'll see this throughout the series, you're going to experience some miracles that take place in your life. Now, when I, when I talk about being thankful, because learning to have a thankful mindset is what, is what creates all this good in our lives. It's what creates this positivity. And I don't mean that by new age positivity. I'm talking about the positivity that comes from being a child of God and understanding what that means. As you practice and establish a steady state of thankfulness, that's what revolutionizes you and revolutionizes your relationships. But there's going to be some homework involved. There's going to be a need for some participation to take place, and I'm excited for, for you to do that and for you to reap the benefits of what we're going to talk about. So let's jump into the first passage that we're going to look at today on how to establish a thankful mindset. And uh, it's found on page, I think it's like 877 if you want to use the Pew Bibles. And I've asked Heather, Pastor Heather, if she would come up and read it for us. But let's stand in honor of God's word as she reads Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Mm -hmm. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Heather, Amen. you can be seated. 
So may God now bless his word to our minds and our hearts. Let's see this, how it works out in us. Psalm 100 is all about the greatness of God. It's not just like Psalm 100 is the only passage in the Bible that deals with the greatness of God. So much of the Bible speaks of the greatness of God, but especially the Psalms and here in Psalm 100, and that's the problem. See what do you mean by that? Well, the reason we struggle so much with ungratefulness and negativity is because of God's greatness. You say, that doesn't make sense. How can, how can God's greatness, how can thinking about God's greatness, how can that challenge me and make me ungrateful, and how can that make me a negative person? And to answer that question, I, I want to take it back to the garden where we oftentimes go because if you don't understand what happened in the garden, nothing else makes sense in the Bible and, or in life. But if you remember in the garden, God created the first man and the first woman in the garden. And remember there were trees in the garden, but there was one specific tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said to Adam and Eve, God said, you can eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden that you want, but from that, from that tree, you may not take its fruit. That belongs to me. And I want you to obey me because I am God and you are not. That's in essence what God was saying. So in other words, they just needed to honor God for who he was and, and just enjoy being who he created them to be. But you know the story. You know how the serpent made his way in and the serpent suggested to Adam and Eve that God was keeping them from being gods. And that if they would just defy what God said, if they would just reach out, godhood was just, well, it was just one reach away. And they would be gods. And so we all know what Adam and Eve did. They reached out and they took what didn't belong to them and they ate the fruit, and it says, and their eyes were opened, and all of a sudden, sin enters their lives, and we have been living with the consequences of their choice ever since. What I mean by that is every one of us is born wanting to be our own God, all of us, and it starts like right away, even in the womb. And as soon as we get out of the womb, anybody with a preschooler experiences that. They want to be God. See, here's the deal. Not only are we born wanting to be God, but the only way for us to truly be God of our own life means that we also have to be God of everybody else's lives, right? And that's just our, our nature. And that, you see, creates this rivalry. That's why, that's why we don't want to focus on God's greatness and and. We want to think about our greatness. We want to think about ourselves. That is our human nature. In fact, scientists, social scientists tell us that we spend 90, we spend 90% of our time thinking about ourselves. How many of you would agree with that? Some of you are thinking about yourself right now as I say that. 90% of the time, we are thinking about ourselves. So if you've ever been in one of those moods where you thought to yourself, nobody ever thinks about me, you're right. <laughs> they don't. And you don't think about them. Because the only reason you say, nobody ever thinks about me is because you're thinking about yourself. 
So it's this vicious circle, this vicious cycle that we're in, always thinking about ourselves. So the question becomes, what do we do with that? And the answer is embarrassingly simple. Number one, the first thing you need to do is forget about yourself. So I said we're going to be participatory in this message. You're going to see more to come. But here's our first opportunity to be participatory. I just want you to say out loud with me, I need to forget about myself. Ready? One, two, three. I need to forget about myself. Easy to say, very hard to do, right? The second thing we need to do is forget about others. So let's say that together. I need to forget about others. So let's do them both. I need to forget about myself. I need to forget about others. Now, some of you are thinking to yourself, okay, I can kind of understand how I need to forget about myself, but I thought we're supposed to think about others. And I thought that maybe thinking about others is what helps us forget about ourselves. And there's some truth to that that will make sense a little bit later on, but right now that doesn't work because... Normally, when we think about others, we think about them in two ways, either as a means to a benefit, an end that will serve us well, or we see them as a threat. And so because we see people as a means to manipulate and use for ourselves, or we see them as a threat, as competitors, or they might get what we want, or they might get in the way of what we want, we tend not to think very nice thoughts about other people. I am sure this week you had some not-so-nice thoughts about others. I know I did. Anybody else join me in this 12-step group here? All of us, right? All of us. And that's why we have all the problems that we do. You know, so many of the epistles that were written in the New Testament were written to churches and were written on the basis that the churches were having problems. And guess what? The problems were... They were thinking about themselves. They were thinking in a wrong way about others. In fact, James, in his little letter, mentions this in James chapter 4, verse 1 through 2. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? And he's writing Christians here, not pagans, okay? He's writing a church like, like, like we are a church. And he answers, he says, don't they come for the evil desires that war within you? I want to be God. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Now, I don't know if they're literally killing each other or if they're killing each other with their words, assassinating each other's character. But James says, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And you need to stop that. We can't, we can't live like that. We can't. We can't function like that. So here we go. Here's the first step. The first step to thankfulness is to forget about yourself and others. Let's say it. I want to like sink in. So let's say it aloud together. Forget about yourself and others, which raises the question. If I'm not supposed to think about myself and I'm not supposed to think about others, what am I supposed to do? Well, here's the second step. It's really simple. Think about God. Say it with me. Think about God. Focus on God. Think more about God than you do yourself. Think more about God than you do others. When's the last time you just really thought about God? When's the last time you just thought about his greatness? 
thought about his goodness. I don't mean like a passing little thought. I mean like you really stopped and just, just thought about God. You know, while we were singing, I just was thinking, do we, do we, are we like really thinking about what we're saying in our songs? Are we feeling what we're singing? Or when we pray, and we often pray so often, are we thinking about what we're saying, what we're doing? Or is it just something we kind of go through individually and, and collectively? So here's a participatory moment. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to say some things about God's greatness with me, and they're all based out of Psalm 100, okay? So I found at least seven attributes in Psalm 100 that describe the greatness of God. And what I've done is I've pulled them out, and then I've used other passages of Scripture to highlight them, just so we know that all of God's Word speaks to His, his greatness. So we're going to say this together, but we're going to say it to God, not to me, all right? And, and I want you to say it with, with a sense of, of joy, a sense of worship. So let's all stand together, all right? And there are seven of these, and, and the first one you see up here, when it comes to like these bracketed verses, I'm just showing you where I took that from Psalm 100. So we won't say the bracketed verses, but we will say the others, including the reference, okay? So here we go. Ready? There is only one God and no other like him. I am the Lord, and there is no other apart from me. There is no God. Isaiah 45, 5. So now you're warmed up. You ready? Number two. Here we go. God is all-powerful. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Revelation 19, 6. All right, number four. Uh, sorry, number three. God is the creator, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Colossians 1, 16 through 17. Number four, God is love. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. 1 John 4, 8. Number five, God is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Psalm 34, 8. Number six, God is faithful. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. And finally, God is jealous. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God, Exodus 34, 14. You may be seated, all right? Now, hopefully, you are thinking about God while you were saying that, and not yourself, and not the person next to you. And hopefully, as you said that, you, you and I, what we were doing as a community was bringing this before God. Because this passage of Scripture is not just for me individually, it is for us collectively, God loves when his people come together to worship him in unity as a people, not just as individuals. When is the last time you really were mesmerized, caught up 
as you meditated on the greatness of God. When I was writing this out, I remembered one of those times in my life. It's just many years ago. We were living in California. I went fishing with some friends. We went up high in the Sierras, uh, me and then two of my friends. And after we were done fishing one of the days, we went and had dinner. And after dinner, we made our way back to where we were staying. And we were in a very remote part of the Sierras, really high up, you know, like 9,000 feet. And we're driving, you know, over and through the mountain. And my friend stopped the Suburban and the trailer, and we pulled off the side of the road, and he shut the engines off, and he turned the lights off, and he said, let's just get out. There's nobody around, right? It's just, it's late. There's nobody around. And he said, look up. And the three of us looked up. I have never seen so many stars in all my life. It was phenomenal. There's no other light, no ambient light to take it away from it. And I just, I sat there and I thought, how vast, how deep, how infinite this space is. And we were so high up, I, it just felt like I could reach up and touch those stars. And I was just filled with this sense of the grandeur and the greatness of God. I mean, we stood there speechless, just taking it all in. It's like everything else didn't matter anymore. We saw about how great God was and is. One of those friends passed away a couple months ago, and he went home to be with the Lord. And I just think about what it must be like for him now to be in the presence of God, worshiping God. When's the last time you just became really aware of God's presence? It's not going to happen if you don't take the time to do it. And God has put all these things around you and me to make us aware of his greatness, like nature. Those of us who live in Minnesota, there's so many opportunities around us to be aware of God's greatness. You know, Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The earth shows forth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech. Night unto night reveals knowledge. When you walk out of this place today, on your way home, just stop. Sometime today, take a walk and just think about God, not about the problems in this world or the problems in your life. Just get focused on the greatness of God till it becomes a habit in your life, something you seek to do. Now, I have to warn you about something, all right? This takes us to our next thought. When you get your eyes on the greatness of God... Only then will you finally see yourself and others the way you should. Now, here's the warning, okay? The first look, after you see yourself, the first look you get, I'm sorry, after you see God, the first look you get of yourself and others, it's not a pretty look. Ask Isaiah. We talked about him a couple weeks ago. Isaiah chapter 6. He was a priest. He served God in the temple. And one day he went to worship God and he had this vision of God and, and what happens to Isaiah? The result is he cries out and he says, Woe is me! I am undone! I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. What happened to Isaiah? When he saw the holiness and the greatness of God, he saw how unholy and sinful he was. And it just tore him apart. Or how about Peter? In that passage in Luke chapter 5, read it later on, where Peter He's in the boat with Jesus, and you know, he has a miracle catch of fish, remember? And it's like all of a sudden Peter realizes who's really in the boat with him. 
that this is, this is God's son. And, it's, and it says that Peter fell to his knees in the boat. And I imagine all the fish, you know, flopping around. He's on his knees. And he cries out to Jesus. And he says, get away from me. And the Greek literally says, get away from me. I'm such a sinner. This is proud Peter. He suddenly just goes, oh my goodness. In light of who you are, I'm such a sinner, you should get away from me. Or take the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says about his life before he met Christ, and then when he met Christ, he, says, he just says, I am the worst of sinners. In some versions, it's I am the chief of sinners. What happened in all of these men's lives? What happened in their lives is what happens in anybody's life who really becomes aware of the goodness and the greatness of God. You suddenly become aware of how unworthy, unholy you really are. Not just you, but you realize everybody else is in the same boat. I know what some of you are thinking. How is this supposed to produce thankfulness in me? Right now, this is depressing me. Right now, this makes me feel like a worm. I mean, I just, right now, I just feel like I can't even come before God. Hang in there, okay? Because you have to look through that, okay? Like, you have to see that first, but if you keep looking, you're going to see something wonderful that's going to happen. And it's found in verse 5 of Psalm 100. Look what it says. For the Lord is good. Finish it with me. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. I want, we could focus on more phrases, but because of time, I just want you to focus on this one phrase, his unfailing love continues forever. I love that phrase. I love it. Let's say it together. His unfailing love continues forever. As, as his unconditional love. And so the question becomes, okay, so what is God's unfailing love? And I'll, I'll ask the Apostle Paul to answer it for us in Romans 5, 8. He says, but God showed his, what kind of love? Great love. What's so great about it? It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Well, let's ask John about it. Here's what John says. John says in 1 John 4, 9, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, John says. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. What is true love? Somebody would walk up to you and ask you, what is true love? How would you answer them? One way you could answer them is to say, you know, true love is like, it's like when, you get, when you get in the same boat with somebody else, like, like when you get in their shoes and you, you weep with them when they weep. You ever have somebody do that when you've just been sorrowful? You ever had a friend just come and kind of weep with you? Or, or they, they bear your burden with you, so they help you carry it. Or they, you know, they don't even say anything. They just come and they're with you. You know, sometimes the most powerful thing a friend can do is not come and quote verses of Scripture to you when you're really going through it. Just come and sit with you. Just be with you. That means so much, doesn't it? It's powerful. But do you know what the greatest sign, the greatest sign of true love is? Is when somebody says, listen, I don't want you to go through this. You step out 
I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to take it for you. That's the greatest sign of love. So let's go back to the garden real quick for a moment. In the garden, what do Adam and Eve do when they take that fruit? In essence, what they say is, we're going to take God's place and be our own God. And of course, that didn't go so well because God said, he said, in the day that you eat thereof, King James, you shall die. And he didn't mean just physical death. He meant like eternal separation. So Adam and Eve step in there and say, I'm going to take your place. I'm going to be my own God. And all of us are born with that same attitude. I'm going to step in there and be my own God. What does God do through Jesus? God steps into our place and says, I'm going to take your judgment for you. I'm going to take your death for you. And as we so oftentimes say, I'm going to die your death for you so you can live my life. And in forgiveness, I'll declare you righteous and holy, though you haven't done a thing. Because I'm going to lay on you what my son has done for you. I'm going to treat you like you're my son. That's unfailing love. And when, when you come to grips with that, when, when you absorb that into your mighty heart, when you really see that greatness of God, listen, it transforms your life. It transforms your relationship with God, and it transforms your relationship with others. And I want to read to you a series of statements that describe it. There's too many to take down. There's too many for me to put up. We'll try to get it on our small groups page. You can go to the website if you want to see them. But I want you to just listen and absorb how focusing on the greatness of God, really focusing on the greatness of God can change your life. First, let's talk about how it changes our relationship with God. And so the statement goes like this. If you saw the greatness of God, you would be filled with humility and awe. If you saw the greatness of God, you'd be filled with gratitude and worship. If you saw the greatness of God, it would lead to life transformation by changing your priorities, values, and desires. If you saw the greatness of God, you'd be more courageous and confident. Isn't that true? I mean, that's what David did. He saw the greatness of God, and he said, this, this giant's no problem because the battle belongs to the Lord. If you saw the greatness of God, you'd be more missional in your living. If you saw the greatness of God, you'd have more joy and more peace in your life because none, you know, none of the other stuff would matter. You'd realize you're just passing through this life. You're here to be his witness and then go home to be with him. Now think about these next set of statements because it describes how it changes you relationally. If you saw the greatness of God, you would not be so greedy and covetous. If you saw the greatness of God, your eyes wouldn't stray after lustful images and thoughts. If you saw the greatness of God, you wouldn't get angry at your children so easily. If you saw the greatness of God, you wouldn't pout and get hurt so easily in your marriage. If you saw the greatness of God, you wouldn't worry about your looks so much. If you saw the greatness of God, you wouldn't spend time watching mindless and sordid and defiling television programs. If you saw the greatness of God, you wouldn't get so discouraged with the evil and godlessness of the culture. Now, here's the question. Is that true? I dare you to prove it wrong. I challenge you to focus every day increasingly more and more on the greatness of God. You know, in that funny little sermon bumper, right, 
He does a little thank you. He's taking something that can be very negative and trying to find something, some positive aspect in it. And, you know, there, there's, there's truth in that little sermon bumper. And that the truth is, I have a choice every day. I can focus on what's wrong or I can focus on my great God. And so every time something goes wrong or what you perceive to be wrong in your life, try to find a way to counter it with something great about God and see what it does to your life. And don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together because, listen, part of understanding the greatness of God, there's, there's an aspect of God's greatness you will never understand outside of community with God's people. And COVID has just done such damage to that. As people have dropped away from church and, you know, and are choosing, and it's not a health issue. I understand people have to stay away from health issues. I totally understand that. They're at risk. But a lot of us have just gotten lazy and we like the convenience of just sitting back and watching it in our home. And I'm not trying to get rid of our online audience, all right? Honestly, I'm not trying to do that. But I, I have to say to you, you, you miss out something about God's greatness when you're not in community with God, with others. And you're going to see why in just a couple of minutes. Let's go back to Psalm 100. I want you to say it with me. But this time, there are a lot of verbs in here. And so when we start out, I don't want you to go, shout with joy to the Lord. <laughs> oh, the earth. Please don't do that, all right? Like, I'd like you to emphasize it. So I want you to use your diaphragm, so let's all stand together, okay? And let's see if we can read this, not to me, please. Not to the person next to you. Forget about yourself, forget about the person next to you. But I want you to say it to God, and then we're going to do a couple of cool things here in a moment. Ready? Let's do it. One, two, three. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him, singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. That feel good? All right, now I want you to be seated because in that psalm, there are two things happening, okay? Number one, there's humility in that psalm, okay? There's, there's an invitation. There's a path that we take. And this is why I said this is just as important for community as it is for individuals. There's a sense of the community coming in. So it's a path I'm to come in and, and I'm to express and give to God something, and I do it in humility. But in this psalm, there's also exuberance, that like once I'm in at his invitation and I give, something exuberant happens. I erupt in praise. So I've asked my friend Annie to demonstrate the humility aspect. So I want you to watch the screens as she comes in and imagine this, this is what it means to approach God.
All right. Now, Annie and I are going to teach you what just happened. All right? I'm going to give this back to you. So Annie came in, and did you notice how she approached me? I'm just representing the God, okay? She approached me, and she walked slowly. Did you notice her posture, her head was down? She has this gift. She couldn't look up at me because there's that sense of humility, that sense of, of God's greatness, and, you know, how could I dare look at God? And then, and then she finally came up as she stood before me. So once you do it again, put your head down, pull the gift. Notice the humility, right? Notice what I did. I lifted her head up. When I lifted her head up, we smiled, right? Big smile. And she gave me the gift, and we stood together, my arm around her. This is my child. See, that's what God wants to do for you and me. God says, approach me in the right way. And listen, the right way isn't me coming to God and lifting my own head up. That's pride. When we come before God in, in true humility, bow your head again. And God sees that it's God who lifts our head up. And when God lifts our head up, he's always got a smile. And that's what gives us such joy and such a smile. Don't you want that in your relationship with God? I do. I want to experience that with God, don't you? Annie, you've been awesome. Thank you. Would you give it up for my friend Annie? I was reading, I was reading the Gospel of Mark recently, how Jesus said, unless you become like Annie, he didn't use her name, but unless you become like a child, you can't even enter the kingdom of God. And it has to do with worship as well. So I want you to imagine this is now your opportunity and my opportunity to enter into his presence. And the thanksgiving we're going to offer him is, is the songs that Darren and the team are going to lead us in. And I want you to forget about yourself. I want you to forget about the people next to you. I want you to not think about how good or how bad your voice is. Whatever your voice is, I want you to lift this up to God. And listen, please listen carefully. I want this to be the way it is from this weekend on. I don't want this to be like we did it this weekend and next weekend we go back to ho-hum. I want us to say, okay, I'm going to start practicing this in my individual life, but I'm also going to start practicing it as a community. Fathers, we are going to stand and worship you in a moment. I pray it will come from sincere hearts. And I pray that you receive our praise. And that you be honored and glorified as we do so. In Jesus' name, amen.